I'm going to speak briefly because of time. Go back to the text in Matthew that we started, that we looked at last week, if you would. Matthew 9. And if you remember in Matthew 9, um, Jesus is looking at the multitudes, and um, it says that Jesus looked at the multitudes in Matthew 9, 9.36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Um, and last week we compared or contrasted Jesus, what Jesus saw when he looked at people and what the Pharisees saw, or what Jesus saw and what his own disciples saw. And, and um, Jesus saw people in their need because he was moved with compassion for him. In other words, what he saw was a product of who he really was. You know what I mean? It was a product of, of something deeper than what we think of as just a intellectual perception. The more I've thought about this passage, the more I realize that in many ways, Jesus and the Pharisees often saw the same thing. We looked at the passage in Luke. Remember Luke? The, the, the sinful woman comes into the dinner and the Pharisees like, how can, how can Jesus let this woman touch him? She's, she's a sinner. So the Pharisees saw her sin. But didn't Jesus see her sin too? Did he? Well, of course he did. So, well, was the Pharisee right? Well, he was right, but he was wrong at the same time. Because it was his response. It wasn't that he identified that the woman was a sinner. Jesus saw the woman's sin. The Pharisees saw the woman's sin. The problem was their response to her sin. The Pharisees' response was always one of judgment and condemnation. Jesus had a response of compassion. So I want to speak very briefly today because of time about uh, compassion. And it's fitting that we prayed, I think, for our children because if Christians love anybody, they love their own kids. Let me say it again. If Christians love anybody, they love their own kids. Right? And so that kind of feeling, that kind of yearning, that kind of longing that brings a mother or a father literally to tears thinking about the soul of their child, that is compassion. But see, that is what Jesus had for strangers. And see, we don't. We might have it for our kids. Maybe we'll have it for a couple friends. Highly unlikely. But... We certainly don't tend to have it for the multitudes. Now, I don't want to say nobody does, or we never do, because that would be overstating the case. But very often, the kind of yearning for salvation that we have for those that are dear to us, we simply don't have for the world at large. And of course, you could say, well, how could you? How could you care for people you don't know? Um, I don't have an answer for that other than the fact that I know Jesus did. And if Jesus did, we can too. Because Jesus is in us. 
Can I get a couple more amens? Jesus is in us through his Holy Spirit. And so the kind of heart Jesus had for the lost, his people can have for the lost too. And the kind of compassion a mother or father has for their own children, the yearning for their salvation, the yearning for them walking uh, in, in a life of obedience, or a yearning to see them love Jesus, that kind of, of, of compassion can be had for others that are, not, that are actually outside of your family. But it's something that we must, that must be given to us. Or should I say, let me put it this way, it's something we must receive. Because I think it's being offered to us. So a few words on compassion. So Jesus looks he, he, at the multitudes and uh, Matthew tells us that he's moved with compassion. That's, that's because the word that here is used is the word for bowels. Literally. His bowels moved. Oh, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Well, what it means is, is the feelings that Jesus had were so deep, we would say uh, they were visceral. They were gut, in his gut, if you will. It was deep and profound feeling. And this feeling of compassion is, is a feeling of, of goodwill, if you will. It's a feeling of pity when, when you see somebody in pain or someone who's suffering. But it also involves the desire to, to help and to relieve that pain. Compassion or pity is, is, is also a biblical word, but we don't use it often today. It compels us to identify with other people, to, to put ourselves in their place, if you will. And, and this is exactly what Jesus did. Because Jesus' place wasn't to be on the earth identified as a sinner. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth identified with us who were fallen. Not only that, Jesus was willing to associate with sinners. And so the, 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 the important people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the important people then called Jesus a sinner. Jesus was called a sinner. Jesus was called demon-possessed. Do you know that? Jesus was called mad, insane. By the important people. Why? Because he put himself in the place of sinners. So he was willing to be identified with them in spite of the ridicule and the slander that it brought. Because he was moved with compassion. That's what compassion is. Compassion, you're able to say, that could be me. And in some ways, that is me. Might look different on the outside. But that's me. But compassion also inspires action. And it's action that will alleviate the need of those who are suffering. Jesus had compassion, therefore he taught, he fed, he healed, he ministered to people. By its very nature, true compassion versus sentiment, you listening? True compassion versus sentiment compels to action. Sentiment is, oh, that's sad. Change the channel. Kids are dying overseas. Change the channel. Sentiment is a mere feeling. Compassion is not just a feeling. It is, it is a movement. It is an action 
that results from the feeling. So it's really a feeling and an action all in one. It's the whole bundle. Because if, if, if I see somebody suffering and I feel bad and then do nothing, do I really care? No. no. That's what James talks about in James 2 when he says, if your brother's hungry, you say, go in peace, be warmed and filled. You've blessed them verbally. you blessed them. But you didn't do anything. And James says, is, this, does that, is that kind of faith of any value? Well, he says no. Why? Because it didn't issue in any action. The kind of comp- compassion that, that, that feels only, or at least professes to feel, but doesn't act, is not the kind of compassion Jesus had. I could just imagine Jesus on his throne in glory sitting next to the Father saying, Oh, look at the mess that they... Look at the mess down there. Look, look at all the pain and suffering that resulted from the fall. Adam and Eve messed this thing up so bad. And the father's like, yeah, it's a mess. I feel bad for them. Jesus is like, I feel bad too. It's really sad. Holy Spirit's like, amen, amen. <laughs> it's bad. It's sad. It's terrible. Next chorus of holy, 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 please. <laughs> right? You know, there are stories that in World War II, there were churches in Germany, Christian churches, this kind of Christian, or maybe this kind, inverted bottom. The, 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 the railroad cars came right by the church and they could hear the Jews screaming on the cars as they went to the camps. And so they just turned the music up. They played the organ louder. They sang louder. Compassion leads to action. And I'm glad the compassion of Jesus wasn't like that. But the compassion of Jesus was, I will go. I delight to do thy will, O God. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. You have pierced my ear. You have made me your slave to do your will. And Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. In eternity past, the concept we can't really comprehend the justification for the creation of the world was that the slam had already the lamb had already agreed to be slain that god was willing to enter into human suffering and pain to redeem man humanity in its misery jesus compassion is more than a feeling, more than a, a mere sentiment. It is moral action. And it is action pointed toward alleviating the source of the suffering. One final point. Compassion in the biblical sense, we must understand, is not only directed toward those in need, but we, we need to make an important distinction here. And that is this is that 
we, we don't evaluate the cause of the need and then say, if, if your need or the cause of your need is justified in my eyes, I will be compassionate. Amen. Amen. Because here's what I hear a lot. Um, I hear Christians say things which basically mean it's their own fault. Thus, I don't have to care. Or I don't have to help. It's their own fault. Or I was having a conversation with someone once about some of the women that come into the clinic where my, my wife works, a pro-life clinic. And his response in the conversation was, these women know exactly what they're doing. Um, very callous, very cold response. So let me address this briefly. First of all, do you realize that other than hurricanes and tsunamis, all of our suffering is self-imposed? Do you realize that? Yes. Now you might feel like you're a victim, and I'm going to talk about the victim mentality in a minute, but the reality is most of the suffering in our lives is self-imposed. We do stupid things. Amen. We do. We make mistakes. We call them mistakes. Some are mistakes. Some are miscalculations. Some are, some are you know. But, hu- I mean, human folly. It's human folly. Amen. The things we do. The mistakes we make. Often the sins we commit. We don't want to call them sins. We call them mistakes. So, you know, much of what we deal with is a product of our own behavior. Now, that should come as no surprise to anybody. Because in a way, that's kind of the definition of sin. Or should I say, what happens is we experience the consequences of our failure to to live up to the moral law. When I say we, I mean all of us. I'm not judging other people. We've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Romans 3. So, you know, if you say, well, you know, they, you know, they, you know, it's their own fault because they should have known better. Well, what if God did that? No, really. What if Jesus said to the Father, you know, I'd like to help, but it's her own fault. Eve knew what she was doing. Adam just stood there like a dork. Didn't say a word. That's what they get. It's her own fault. It's her own fault. Well, of course it's their fault. That's what a sin is. <laughs> That's what a sin is. Of course it's our fault. If it wasn't our fault, we would be innocent. Are you tracking with me? Yes. It's got to be our I mean, the Bible says, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Thus, it's, something's my fault. I, I'm not a total victim. So if God took the attitude, well, if it's their fault, I'm not going to help. He, he wouldn't have saved us. Jesus would have never come. But that's why he says to the Pharisees who really had this attitude, well, it's your own fault. He says, you need to learn this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
I desire compassion and not ritual, is what he's saying. You're doing the sacrifices and you're doing the ritual and you're doing the praying and you're doing all these things, but you don't care about people. That's what he's saying. Well, it was because they didn't care because it was their own fault. We saw it with the man born blind. How did they justify their hard-heartedness against the blind man? He's a sinner. He's born in sin. It's his fault. It's his parents' fault. So my hands are clean. I've seen this. I've heard this coming from Christians, and it's very scary. Now, I understand that we live in a weird time right now. And it's a time of, of uh, what, what I would call a false tolerance. A, a time of where the victim is the hero. You hearing me? Yeah. The victim is the hero. All you have to do is, is say you've been victimized, and all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of people that surround you and start chanting for you. Without really dealing with the question of truth. <laughs> you know, um, claiming to be a victim and being a victim are not the same thing, right? Um, but I think in reaction to that tendency, we, some in the Christian community can go to the other extreme. And we can, we can, go, we can become indifferent um, to people that are genuinely suffering. And the thing is, you have to discern. You have to be discerning in these situations. But, but it's important when I say discerning, I don't mean that just because somebody's pain is self-inflicted, that doesn't mean we don't care or we don't help. Okay? Because, as I said a moment ago, one of the, one of the aspects of compassion is your ability to basically put yourself in, the, in that person's place. In other words, you have to get to the place where you can say, that could be me. That guy on the street with the wine, empty wine bottle in his hand, nodding off, that could be me. Now, in my case, I know it could be me. Because I was going down that road when Jesus knocked me off my donkey and saved me. I remember waking up in the middle of a parking lot at 3 in the morning with with the whiskey bottle in my hand, not knowing how I got there or where I was. Where am I? I remember those days. A few more more years like that, I I would be the guy downtown on the street. But for the grace of God, there go I. Amen? It is true. But some of us just can't go there mentally. We're just not able to do that. Or should I say, maybe we're not willing to go there. And, and you know why? It's because we're not counting our blessings. One of the, one of the greatest books I ever read was a book by uh, Lancelot Andrews. You should look it up. It's A-N-D-R-E-W-E-S. And it's called His Private Devotions. And it's kind of a weird book. Very strange. It's like random prayers and 
think comments on scripture and all this. But one of the things that struck me in his prayers, and I don't usually read form prayers, but sometimes I'll read hymns and, and form prayers when I'm having a devotional time. Is he, this one prayer I should have brought, I wasn't thinking I was going to get off on this side note, but this one prayer in there, he, he's thanking the Lord. And he th- not only thanks, he thanks the Lord for not just his mother and father, but for his teachers, for, his, for the grocery man, for the farmer. For, I mean, basically, he thought about his life, and he realized all the people, all their labor, all their effort, all the things they do, how all those things intersected and touched him. And he thanked God for every one of them. A long prayer. It is. But see, when you get older, you realize, you get a little perspective. And see, I teach kids in, in, in a school. I've, I've sat on school boards. And you know what that experience taught me? It taught me to thank God for the teachers I had when I was little. And a lot of us have never done that. What a thankless job teaching second graders. No, really. I'm not insult, insulting anybody. I mean, teachers, teachers are my, one of my heroes, you know. All the, all the work and all the effort for many people who will never, ever, 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 ever say thank you. But not just our parents, all the people that somehow had, a, had an impact on our life, and I don't mean like a direct impact, but all the people that provided order and security. What about the order and security we have in our community? I mean, we could go down a long list of people that serve in different capacities, volunteer committees, aldermen, different, all, all these different things that are thankless jobs, thankless positions. But we benefit from it. You get what I'm saying? If we really counted our blessings, we'd realize that we're not, we're not so self-made and successful as we think. Amen. I mean, I know what you all think. You think you got that nice house and those cool cars because you're cool. You're smart. You're successful. You might be smart. I don't know how cool you are. But, um, you know, the turn of a key, the drop of a dime, your life could be radically different. I think I told you the story. Remember 9-11? Changed America, right? That morning, I was at a, at a prayer breakfast, and there was a guest speaker. And I was there as part of the media with KSAV Radio. And, and we're, we're, the speaker's giving his talk, and he's, he, says, he says, at any moment, at any moment, like this, life can change. At any moment, life can change. And then one of the other 
media people comes up to me and whispers in my ear, the Twin Towers have hit by, been hit by airplanes. We're under attack. Any moment. Do you think anybody that woke up that morning of 9-11 and went to work in New York expected to see what they saw? Did anyone who died in the towers expected that to be their last day? No. There go I, but the grace of God, right? It only takes one significant event to alter life forever. And we do not contemplate enough not only the blessings we have been given, but the misfortunes that we have been protected from. The misfortunes that have not befallen us because of God's goodness to us. And so when we see others having misfortune, how dare we judge them? Because God has spared us. You know, I hate to say this. I don't want to ruin your day. But no, really. I mean, you know, we're all just, you know, you're all just a pink slip away from the street. The world is not nice. The machine is not nice. And it's grinding people down. Okay? And, you know, when I was young, I remember people talking, people in business, you know, they, they joined a company at 20, they're going to retire from that company at 60. Well, that, those days are gone. There's no security in the system anymore. Okay. So, you know... You see people that are struggling, people that are hurting. They are being, they are being ground up by the machine. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. They're being ground up by a heartless world out there. We are supposed to show them the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus needs to come from his people because it won't come anywhere else. So... That's why I'm, we're, we're focusing again this week on Jesus' compassion because we can glide over this and not realize how profound his love was. And not only that, how this is what we are called to be and to do. Amen. Okay? I am thrilled that, that we as a body love our children, that we can pray for our children, that we can even weep for our children, and we should. We should. But we have to go beyond that. We do. We have to care for our neighbors, for co-workers. We have to begin to care for others that don't know Christ. Let me just conclude. I'm sorry I went too long. So Jesus, Jesus sees, he's moved, he acts, right? His response to the multitude was not judgment, criticism, condemnation. condescension, he, he said, I came not to condemn the world, but to save it. Amen. Neither did Jesus recoil from the crowds in fear. The sheep, you know, sheep are harmless. When he, saw, when he looked at the multitude, he saw a flock of sheep. He didn't see a pack of wolves. He was not repulsed at their sin. He wasn't afraid of their diseases. 
He didn't flee into the mountains and start a monastery. No, his compassion moved him to action from heaven to earth, from pleasure to pain, from glory to shame. Amen? Amen. He was and is a sympathetic Savior regardless of the cost. And his compassion was practical and active and costly. Spurgeon said this, he said, Men are usually won to Christ by suitable instruments. And this suitability often lies in the power to to sympathize. Isn't that good? The power to sympathize. In other words, if we're just preaching at people... They'll know that. But if we genuinely care for people, they'll know that too. They'll know that. And that will draw them. I could say a lot more, um, but because of time, we'll, we can come back to this text later. Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for your great compassion. It is It is amazing when we contemplate it, when we take the time to stop and think of all of your benefits. As your word says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. How you have crowned our heads with kindness, Lord. You've blessed us so many ways. You have not only given us in great measure, but you have spared us in great measure. And Lord, I'm sure people, there, are, there are people here today that have their personal struggles and their family struggles. And Lord, I don't want them to think I'm not sympathetic to whatever hurt they're feeling at this moment. But Lord, what, in spite of those things, how good you have been to us. How good you have been to us. And sometimes those things are signs of your goodness because you're training us and disciplining us and refining us. But Lord, I pray that you would enlarge our hearts. I pray, Lord, that the kind of love and compassion we have for our spouse or our children or or maybe a few select friends, I pray that you would enlarge that and expand that. That we would would begin to care for for neighbors or co-workers or people... uh, that we know in our communities, Lord, that we begin to care for them in a a deeper and richer way. A way that would lead us, Lord, to want to share Christ with them. Because we, we know that even though they may not have any obvious need, we can see their need. We know they need Jesus. And they need salvation. So, Lord, enlarge our hearts, and I know you can, you can give us a greater love and greater compassion. That's a gift that you can give us, and, Lord, I believe you want to give us if we'll receive it. And I ask this, Lord, not for our sakes, for the name of Jesus, pray in his name. Amen.